You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Phil Nelson. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. We'll launch right into it. We are starting a, a rather fun series. We look forward to this every year. It's called You Asked For It. I want to thank you to so many people who asked for it, who texted their questions. We have so many questions, and it's wonderful. And each of them is so pertinent, so important, and uh, so valid and relevant to the life we're living. It also, a lot of the questions really show your heart that is hungry for God, hungry not to be a part of just religious activity, but to know God personally and to go deeper uh, in walking with him. And so thank you to everyone for your questions. Now, we're obviously not gonna be able to get to every question in two weeks' time. Um, But what we're planning, and we can't promise it yet, we've just been talking about it, um, and so I need to ask you a question through that, is we were thinking of doing maybe one or two uh, podcasts uh, that answer these questions. And so I'm just even gonna ask you, no pressure at all, but if you would tune into a podcast like that, would you raise your hands? Okay, it's good to know. Thank you for your feedback. Uh, so we will we'll definitely try to provide that in the weeks to come. Now, in order to answer more than one or two questions in the service, obviously, these answers are going to be brief, okay? I'm gonna try as best as I can to keep it grounded in scripture and give us a biblical perception um, of finding the answer. Every single question, literally, that was sent in could be a 40-minute message. And so when I answer these, just know that it's going to be general and broad and maybe touch on only one component, which then, here's the problem, which then produces a multiple of other questions in the answer. And so one thing I ask you not to do, and I know you won't, but I'm just going to say this, please don't come to conclusions about anything just based on this answer, okay? Um, Each answer to biblical questions needs to be very holistic in the sense of looking at the broader picture of scripture, looking at the content, looking at the words, looking at the culture in which it was written. Um, We just, in America, we do a really poor job at interpreting the scriptures for ourselves. We just do. But that's something we're going to learn and in, in some of the information that you're going to get of where we're going as a church. You're going to see that we're going to try to resource you and equip you to grow in your faith, but also be confident enough to give an answer of the hope that lies within you to people. Our church as a whole in America, guys, is two miles wide, but an inch deep. And we're called to grow in the word, okay? And so this You Asked For It uh, series is literally just to kind of like, just get the fire burning, just to give you a spark to go deeper. And I will say this, there are some amazing biblical resources online. Amazing, gotquestions.com, you're gonna hear a quote to that. Um, the, uh, oh my gosh, there, Truth for Life, Focus on the Family, all these different things, uh, resources that are available to you. All you literally have to do is go to your search engine, type in your question, um, how do I lead my family biblically? You will get a plethora of resources. Just make sure that that resource, when you go to the website, look of where they stand biblically, okay? And look at kind of how they align themselves with Jesus and the word, and then be able to dig for yourself, okay? This is really important. If we just just wait every year to this series um, to ask our questions and to dig deeper in the word, then uh, we've missed it, okay? Um, I think that's it. So we will start. I have six questions that I'm gonna try to plow through Let me tell you, this is gonna be a fire hose because again, one would just be one whole message. 
So I encourage you to uh, take notes or you can watch this over. The first service, we didn't get to the last question. So my goal is to get to the last question so those people who missed it can tune in. The first question that so many people have been asking, which I really appreciate, and we've been a little slow to announce it for the fall because the fall is pretty much here, is what, what are the plans for this coming fall at ECC? And uh, this is really important because let's just be honest, the last six months, God is shifting things. Would you agree? Not only shifting the hearts for revival, and a conviction to start seeking the face of God, a conviction that our time here is short and we need to start paying attention and pressing in and seeking God's face. I think we're also seeing a shift of new people coming in who are hungry for more of God's presence and more of revival. Life change, seeing our community changed for Jesus. We've We've committed to three times a week, the prayer ministry team, three times a week are praying. You're gonna, you're gonna see in a minute how we're, how we're shifting that and making it available for you. The leaders and the elders and the staff, we've been pressing in and asking God to change our plans and cut a knife through it if it's of him or not of him, shall I say. And so all of our plans, I, I pretty much say all of our plans that we plan for this fall have changed. Because God is saying, I want my church the way I want my church. And the way we do church and have done church is not the way I want you to do church now. We need to wake up. Guys, some people may choose to go somewhere else. My prayer is that they would not leave elevation and not connect somewhere else. That's a, tra that, that's a tragedy. But where we're going, we're gonna press in to God's presence. He's gonna require for us to get rid of sin in our lives. He's gonna press into us to go deeper in places we've never gone before, to trust the Holy Spirit to take over. And so we just wanna shift that way and shepherd everybody and know that you have a place here and we want to mentor you, we want to disciple you. But there are some specific things that we are starting to put in place to see our vision come to pass. And here's our vision, friends. It's very simple, I think anyways. We wanna see real people. And by the way, one of our biggest feedback that we get from guests is they say, I just feel like these people are real and I can be comfortable and safe to be myself. That's our vision coming to pass. You gotta start to, to come to God, you gotta be real, okay? So we wanna see real people find real hope in Jesus. Real hope in Jesus. We wanna see them connected to real relationship and how we do that is going to look different than other churches. And we are even working and trying to create different opportunities for people to create, or excuse me, to connect in ways that they connect. So often the church says this is one mold and it should fit all, but we know that we're a body of many members, right? Some of you process internally, some of you process externally. Some of you pray and worship in the wilderness, in the, in the deer stand, in the boat, outside in the garden. And some of you worship in groups and settings of people with loud music and a lot of expression. And so we're gonna do our best moving forward to try to create opportunities that at least fit how you receive and respond. And so we wanna see real relationships, but we also wanna see you take real steps in growth of discipling. The church, again, is a mile wide, two miles wide and an inch deep. We want you to grow in the word. We want you to grow in truth and grow in your ability to walk it out. And you giving permission to the Holy Spirit to have his way in your life. And so going back to COVID, when all this hit, we met outside of a tent for the summer duration until August of last year. Then we came in and to provide 
the best opportunity with safety and just measures that allows as many people to come that feel comfortable. We went to two services, a nine o'clock and a 10.45 a.m. I will tell you, excuse me, running into things. I will tell you that the elders and the staff, uh, we did not plan to go to two services then. That wasn't our plan, but we did because of COVID. Now, in my eyes, and I even said this from the pulpit probably six months ago, that I would love to see us stay at two services and to grow that way. But throughout the last several months of us seeking the Lord, of us processing together, we absolutely believe that we need to be together, worship together, relate together, and uh, so what we're doing is we're making a call, and I know some may not prefer it, just like some people didn't prefer two services. They didn't like being separated. Well, neither did I. And so what we're going to do is we're going to provide a one service time starting September 12th at 10 a.m. Anyone excited? Friends, if you were here at the Kingdom Gathering and you were a part of some of our big services, 4th of July, we did one service, it's night and day. It's different when all people come together, connect together, fellowship together, and can worship together of one accord. There is something powerful that happens, and we want to do that. And we understand if that provides an opportunity that you don't feel is comfortable for you, please know we will continue to have live stream. Uh, available for you at the 10 o'clock service. So here's what we want to see, especially in the days we are living. When we come together, we overcome together. It's all about overcoming together and connecting. When we have two services, it, we're disconnected. When we have two services, no one fellowships afterwards, pretty much. When we used to have one service, we had to kick people out about 45 minutes or an hour later because they were all fellowshipping. So we want to get that back. We want to see that. And uh, you're gonna hear in just a moment what we're gonna do for the time before the 10 o'clock service. Again, we didn't wanna do too late. We didn't wanna do too early. So this will get us out around 11.30, okay? Second service, obviously, right now is getting out about 12.15. So what's this mean for us? Okay, so we want to connect and equip. So we're gonna do one service, but we also want to connect and equip people to the next step. Many of you are new here and you keep asking me, which is great, what's the next steps? What do I do? What do I need to get connected? Well, here's what we're going to provide starting September. You will hear more information. I'm doing a plug because this is, you asked for it. We are doing more, we're covering more of this in our next series uh, called Going 4D. This starts September 5th before we go to one service. This is all about being a four-dimensional church. And I'm gonna tell you more about it on September 5th, okay? But we're gonna cover what this fall and going forward into 2022 is going to look like in the way that we do church built on the foundation of we are called to make disciples. We are called to be different than the world. We are called to grow up on the foundation of the word. And so we want to not just do a Sunday morning gathering, but we want to equip you and disciple you to do that daily growth and be the reflection of Jesus he's called us to be, amen? Okay, so during, I don't wanna get ahead of myself. So during the course of a year, we are gonna offer during the nine o'clock hour, we are gonna offer a course or two, depending on what's going on, during the nine o'clock hour for about 35 to 40 minutes before the 10 o'clock service. We're gonna change our courses throughout the year. So we will have, first of all, we will have an introduction to ECC, okay? What this is, is for anybody who wants to know more about who we are as a church before they plug in, this is for them. For anyone who is volunteering or want to serve at Elevation, you will need to go through one of these courses. If you are even currently leading, we want everyone to be on the same page of who we are, our mission, our vision, our values, because that's important when people are making a decision of where their local church family is going to be. 
And so that's the first and foremost course. Then we're gonna offer throughout the year a course for anyone who wants to grow personally, but also with us as a church. Now, this isn't on the slide. This is gonna be in the series. But we're doing four courses, and I'm gonna do them really quick. E101 is Elevate. These are Elevate Growth Classes, courses. Elevate 101 is basically elevating your understanding of your faith. This is the foundations of every Christian's faith. This is really important. How do you read the Bible? How do you hear God's voice? What do we believe? What is all this? Why do we do what we do? Then E201, Elevate 201, is elevate your life, which is now your application, right? How do you live out the foundations of the faith? E301 is elevating your church, which means how are you wired to serve and partner with the local church to make an impact on people's lives for Jesus? And then E401 is going to be elevating your impact. All of you are called to full-time ministry. Did you know that? We're the church. You're supposed to be fully on mission with Jesus. And so we want to help and equip you and to lead you in making an impact wherever the Lord has you, moment by moment, day by day. So these are gonna be courses that we flow throughout the 9 a.m. hour to where you may be here for a four to six week course at the 9 a.m. and then the next course you may be taking a break. So it just depends, we'll give you more information, so please don't get confused on that. What kind of ministry opportunities are we offering in the fall? Well, one is the prayer nights, and we've extended uh, the prayer nights going dark to another day. The prayer team already is meeting on Friday mornings, and so we're gonna open that hour at 9.30 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. to come take communion with us and to go dark in prayer. We tend to stay after in fellowship as well, so you're welcome to do that. Wednesday nights, the only change we've made is we're gonna go from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., why we're doing that is we're creating a larger window for people who work, who can't get here till eight o'clock. Some family people can get here at six, but they have to leave at 6.30. So we're just making a larger window for you to come and go as you need. If this is going to help you uh, come to something like this, could you just raise your hand? If this is gonna help you, thank you. That's why we're doing it, because we realize six to seven is a very small window. So Wednesday nights, from 6 to 9 p.m., and Fridays from 9.30 a.m. to 10.30 a.m., and both of these, you can now come into the front doors, and then we will have a place for communion that you can take, and then you can come on in and pray. Then we also are offering the ministry in the water, uh, ministry that we do. Uh, by the way, last Sunday, it was incredible. We ministered to 22 people in the water, yeah. Yay, God. And um, by the way, I am going to answer a little bit of the baptism question uh, in one of the questions, so hang with me on that. Um, but uh, we baptize people till, uh, well, 5 p.m. to about 10.30 at night. And so we're gonna offer this the first Sunday of every month, of every month, starting at five o'clock, at five o'clock. And so the, the week before, you'll be able to uh, text that number and sign up for that. Lastly, connection points. Connection is very important. And if we're gonna connect you to real relationships, we need to provide opportunities. We will have some small groups. We usually, when we've done it in the past, we've had 18 to 25 small groups. This fall, since we are shifting everything and we are really trying to cover so many different uh, items to grow and to kind of redirect our culture. We're only gonna have a few small groups available. However, if you would like to lead a small group, please talk to me after the service and we will take those steps needed to get you set. Um, but other things that we're gonna offer is some men's events. We're gonna do a men's outreach and then we're doing some women's events and we'll do a women's outreach in the fall. The last thing that we're going to do is um, we're not gonna do trunk or treat this year. What we're going to do is something different. On October 10th, we're going to do a fall festival here on our property and invite the entire community and surrounding communities to come. 
So we're gonna need a lot of people who are um, generous in resources and, and ideas. We're gonna have a car show, car, bike, and truck show. We're gonna have food trucks, hopefully. So if you're a local business that does food, we would love for you to be a part of this so that we can sponsor and support our local businesses, amen? Yeah. We're gonna have inflatables and games. We're gonna have a teen section for just teens. We'll have hay rides, but again, we're gonna need your help. So please, please, please let us know. Email us at contact at myelevationcc.org if you would like to be a part of a leadership team. We don't have much time. It's running out. So please uh, let us know. So that is in a nutshell. Are you overwhelmed yet? A nutshell of what we're doing. But again, we want to see real life change. So we're gonna do whatever we can to support you, equip you, and send you out. Whew. Question number two. John chapter three, verses three through seven, talks about baptism for salvation. Do I need to be baptized in order to go to heaven? If not, what does these verses mean? That's a great question. Great question. And here's the thing. Almost every question is not just that one person. Most people have the same question. If not most, a lot of people do. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to give a disclaimer, and then I'd like to read the word, and then I want to give just a couple thoughts on it. So the disclaimer, as with any single verse or passage in the Bible, we have to discern what it teaches by first filtering it through what we know the Bible teaches on the subject at hand. We are so good as American Christians taking one scripture out of the verse to defend and define what we believe. Now, the Bible is complete, it is true, but it all meshes and works together. And sometimes you have to do your digging and you have to study to figure out where all the pieces of the puzzle meet, okay? So, for instance, with this subject at hand, baptism, but the subject is not baptism. What's the subject? The subject is salvation. What do I need to be saved? Because in order to be saved, I need, what do I need to do, right, is the question. And in order to enter heaven, you have to be saved. So we need to figure this out, but the Bible is absolutely, absolutely 120% clear that salvation is by grace, which means undeserved favor alone. You don't earn it. You can't do anything to gain it. It is spelled D-O-N-E, done. Jesus said it was finished. He died for your forgiveness and to reconcile you to the Father. It is done. It is not spelled D-O. You do not do to earn salvation. Now, I'll get there in a minute. There are things that we need to do that are a result or a response to our salvation. But salvation alone is grounded only in Jesus. What did he say? I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ephesians 2, verses eight through nine talks about, this is not of your works, so no one can boast, but it's a gift from God. So with that interpretation... Any other interpretation which comes to the conclusion that baptism or any other religious act of any kind is necessary for salvation, it is a faulty interpretation. It's, 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 it's not in alignment with the word of God because baptism is a work. It doesn't save you. It is a step of obedience the water, which we're gonna talk about in a minute, represents something. And when someone is baptized, they're representing a decision they made in their lives and what God did for them. When they go under the water, they're dying to themselves and to their sin. They're being buried in the likeness of Christ and they're being resurrected as they come up in the resurrection of Christ. So now let's read the scripture. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, say born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee. He says, what do you mean? How 
can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And all the moms say, yikes. <laughs> Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. There it is. What's that mean? So often we say it's baptism. It's not baptism. It's not baptism. Jesus didn't even institute baptism yet as for your salvation. Now hang with me. Baptism is very important, but he's not talking about baptism. He's talking about a rebirth. A rebirth, okay? And he said humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. So this is really, really important to understand how we interpret the text. When first considering this passage, it is important to note that no, nowhere Nowhere in the context of this passage is baptism even mentioned. So to the question to clarify, it says John 3 talks about baptism or salvation by baptism. No, it doesn't. It, it's talking about being born again. Where we get confused is the water and the spirit, okay? So I'm going to talk to you, which then also kind of goes to show of why God is doing incredible things in the water, I mean, at creation, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit hovered the water. Okay, we'll get there in a minute. It is also important to mention that this conversation with Nicodemus was even before the ordinance by Christ for Christian baptism, okay? Now, I need to mention the truth about water because in our Western culture, we don't understand the significance of water. We just don't. And so I'm gonna try to go real quick here, okay? Real, real quick. When, uh, can you go back to that other passage? Back one. So I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. First, the water. The water is all about cleansing and washing. Okay? We need to be cleansed. We need to be cleansed of all of our sins in order to be saved, right? Okay, the Spirit is the power of God, which allows us to live life through the power of God. Now, go to Old Testament. This is where it's really fun once you start to understand how Old Testament matches the New Testament. Jesus did not come to just abolish and throw out the law uh, completely. He came to fulfill the law completely. He didn't say that it doesn't matter anymore, that the Ten Commandments don't matter to God anymore. What he's saying is I fulfilled it with my blood so that you are not bound by the law because you're going to mess up every time. Okay? But when the law was instituted with Moses, do you guys remember it all reading through Exodus how God says, I want to be with my people, but I can't because of sin. So Moses, I want you to build me a tabernacle, a temple, right? And in the temple, there is going to be a holy place where the priests do the ministry. And then there's going to be a veil that separates the holy place from the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant resided and the glory of God hovered, okay? Stick with me here. So then when Moses took all of the Levitical priests, what do I mean, what do I mean by that? Well, Aaron was of the tribe of Levite, Levi. And so only Levites could be priests. Not all Levites were priests, but only Levites could be priests. What's a Levite? Well, it's children of Israel from the tribe of Levi, okay? And so the first time that the priests come together in front of the tabernacle, the Lord says, you must anoint Aaron and his sons to do the work that I've called them to do of the ministry. And in order to do the work of the ministry, they must be baptized first, immersed in the water. This is why in Jewish culture, they know what a mikvah is. A mikvah is, look right to your right here, 
You see this baptismal? It's very much a design out of the mikvah. And even today, Jews and Messianic Jews, they wash and immerse themselves continually and consistently because it is a Hebrew culture practice. We in the Western culture don't understand it, but just because we don't understand it doesn't mean it doesn't exist in the word of God. And so the Levitical priests, before they could do any work of God for the people, they had to wash. They had to, it was cleansing. Water from the beginning in the Bible is all about purity, purifying, washing, and cleansing, okay? Fast forward to Jesus. Why did Jesus get baptized? Well, he fulfilled every part of the law. So in order for him to be the high priest, he fulfilled the law by washing with water. And when he did, the Holy Spirit ascended and proved that he is the son of God. And the Holy Spirit baptized him and remained with him for the rest of his ministry. Now fast forward to us. There's a verse in second, where is it? Sorry. It's in first Peter where it says this, you are a royal priesthood. Now, because of Jesus, we are temples of the living God. The Holy Spirit lives within us. We are temples, but we're also royal priests. Go all the way back to the Levitical priest. What did they have to do? Wash with water. Now we wash with the cleansing of the word and the Holy Spirit. So to answer this question, I want to go to this quote here by the Barclay Daily Study Bible. Water and spirit stand for the cleansing and the strengthening power of Christ, which wipes out the past and gives victory for the future. So what Jesus is referring to, that you cannot enter the kingdom of God without being baptized, or no, by being washed with water and spirit, born of the water and spirit is not baptism. It is being cleansed by the, the uh, blood of Christ and being strengthened by the power of Christ, which is the Holy Spirit. Question three, why do bad things happen to infants, kids, and all around good people? That's a tough one. And so I asked Michael Miller to answer it because <laughs> he's better at this than I am. And uh, he has a really great answer. So watch this. Hey, it's Michael. Now this question is one that I've thought about a lot. I've read some books on and it still plagues me. And the question is, why do infants die? Why do children suffer? Why do people have diseases like cancer and just terminal, just terrible things? Essentially, why do bad things happen to good people? And maybe we don't like the good people idea because we're all sinners, I get it. But why? Why do such terrible things happen to us? Especially with children, right? And can I be real for a moment? I don't know. And it's not a cop. I mean, I can have cop outs. I can go to 1 Corinthians 13 and say how Paul says that, you know, uh, now he, we look through the glass darkly, but one day we'll be able to see it clearly. Like maybe someday in heaven we'll have the answers to these questions. And I know that answer doesn't satisfy. I know. The idea that God is infinitely more intelligent than us and, and, and maybe our, our, our brains here just don't understand it. I, I, I know. I know those answers too. I know they don't satisfy. And I'm not claiming to have an answer that satisfies. But maybe I have an answer that can lighten the load. Lighten the thought. And, this, and my answer would be that we are looking through a lens that is of this world and of a temporary existence. See, what I mean by this is we look at this life of 80 years and think, why did a kid get snuffed out before he reached one? We look at this lifetime, this lens of 80 years and we think, man, why did this 40-year-old woman die of cancer? And she was a godly woman. We look at this earthly lens 
and we say, why do people get raped and tortured and hurt and all these bad things? Why? But if we were to put on an eternal lens, things would might, it might be different. When we imagine that infant in, in heaven with God and realize that they don't have to deal with the toils that we've dealt with in this life. Yes, their parents hurt, but that infant's not in pain. When we look at these, these situations that, that seem terrible, we think of, of this miserable existence for a small amount of time, we, we, maybe we forget about the unfathomable eternity that we get to experience in heaven. So I hope that that can give you solace, realizing that if we look at this thing through an eternal lens, it might change our perspective. And I know. That doesn't solve the problem, but I hope it lightens the pain that is found in this question. Thank you, Michael, for that. Thank you so much, Michael. That's the guy that's leading your children on Sundays, and uh, he's, he's just one of a kind. Um, I do want to just say a couple things. One is a quote <clears throat> from Got Question on this subject matter. It's a, a quote that says this. When we see so much hardship, destruction, sickness, and loss, we tend to only see the wasted potential, don't we? The loss seems pointless, and the perception of meaningless suffering can fuel anger, which we see a lot, depression, confusion, denial, and other negative reactions. But when the first waves, or second waves, or third waves, depending on where you are in life, start to pass of grief, we may be ready to ask the real question. God, does this horrible situation and the accompanying pain serve any good purpose? Theologically, friends, we can say that the reason anyone dies, including babies, is that we live in a fallen, broken world that bears the effects of sin. All of us have sinned, fallen short of God's glory. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone have, has sinned. The death, you can see that in Romans 5, by the way. The death of a baby doesn't sit well with us. Cancer doesn't sit well with us. Losing a loved one to some sort of disease and sickness or murder doesn't sit well with us, and it shouldn't, because God didn't originally design us to live in that type of environment. But the good news is Jesus came to redeem it all, and at some point soon, he is going to come and take care of it all for all of eternity. I want to end this question on this note, Revelations 21, 3 through 4. This is when everything comes to a full completion in heaven. Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things will be gone forever. I hope that helps a little bit. But again, this is just a surface answer to such a deep question. Question four. What are the church's thoughts on the end times? Feels like we are pretty close to the return of Jesus. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> it? does. How's that make you feel? Does it strike fear? A lot of people did. I, I was told every Sunday in the church I grew up, Jesus is coming. It may be tomorrow. It may be tonight. And honestly, that put such fear in this seven-year-old kid's heart. But once I started to realize the incredible news about it, and what it meant for me and my loved ones who trusted in Jesus, it started to make more sense. But how can a pastor 30 some years ago say that it could be tomorrow, it's close, it could be any day, and then all of a sudden we're here in 2021 saying it could be any day. We need to understand that our time frame does not work like God's time frame. okay? No, no mortal person, not even an angel, not even Jesus, while he was in the flesh on the earth, knew the time that the Father would say, Jesus, go get my, your bride. Now, Jesus 
Now that he's resurrected, he sits on the throne of God. He is God. He is part of the Godhead Trinity. He knows, and uh, the days are at hand. But again, it even tells us that um, in 2 Peter, I'm jumping all over, uh, Dustin, but in 2 Peter, it says this, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years. So if you think about it, Jesus was only on this earth about two days ago. <laughs> it's different, isn't it? It's that eternal lens that Michael was talking about. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wanting anyone to perish without knowing his son Jesus. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. This is truth. Let's look at Luke chapter 21. Jesus spoke of the end times all the time. And again, just like the disciples, we are today. When is it gonna be, Lord? When is it gonna be? What's this? What's this? Is this the Antichrist? Is this? What's this? And Jesus is saying, look, you will know the times when they come because you will see the signs. But he says, don't get distracted or consumed by the signs. Like we see so many people do. He says, keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on the kingdom of God and be about the great commission. Luke 21 says this, watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that, uh, don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap for the day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. Now, I've talked to many believers in this church and outside this church who really believe and sense that the day of the Lord is sooner than later, and I'm with you. I, I, I believe it too. Do you believe that? Do you sense that? I mean, people are sensing that things are starting to unfold the Bible right in front of us, right? Am I alone? No, okay, I'm just making sure, okay? So do we believe that there's a sense that we are much closer to Christ's return? Things are much darker than they used to be. Now, granted, I think that times in America have been worse off than where we are now, but it's still bad and it's still getting darker and darker, agreed? And so we also need to look at the signs. The signs are pointing to Jesus' return, just as they did in the New Testament church as well. Now, if you sense that the end is closer than it was before, then why are most Christians not urgent about the coming of the Lord? Why do our lives not reflect this sense of urgency? Are we isolating ourselves from people? Are we being consumed with politics more than we're being consumed with the kingdom? I'm not saying they don't matter. It's just what is your focus? Are we keeping busy with the same old things or adding more stuff to our schedules? Are we mostly worried about comfort and protection more than we are focused on becoming living sacrifices to be the light in a dark world and to run after the lost and lead them to Jesus. If we truly are close to end times, friends, we better wake up. And we better start living our lives differently or else we are going to be sucked into the typhoon of this world. Revelation says that many will be deceived. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be you. Question five. Why are some Christians so judgmental and rude when it comes to another person that has different beliefs? I know, right? Good question. I'm still waiting for that answer. Christians should have compassion on others and not be judgmental or have any attitude of superiority. I couldn't agree anymore. There's really not a whole lot to answer, but I will say this. We are not called to cater or dilute our doctrine, our truth to any one belief just to satisfy and appease. 
The truth of God is the truth of God. It will never come back empty, ever. What God says, he means. He doesn't say truth just so it feels good and looks good. It's truth. We can take it to the bank and withdraw it anytime. However, we have a lot of people, and my, I'm included, that sometimes we get arrogant and we get focused on other things than the love of Christ. We can, we can stand on God's authoritative and unwavering truth with confidence. We can. We don't have to be shaken or wavered by other people's beliefs. However, our actions and words are to be saturated with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. What's the first one? Love. Love. Friends, when others disagree with your beliefs, you may just win them over by the love you have for them. If not, Christians just become a noisy gong and a clangy cymbal. And I'm sorry, friends, my, my son has a drum set at home. You don't want to be that. Okay, question number six. Galatians chapter five. You mentioned that you are rooted last week, actually, by what fruit is in your life. What if you can recognize one bad fruit resulting from walking in the flesh, and you can also recognize one fruit that you're lacking in the category of walking in the spirit? That's a great question. Michael, would you answer that? Go. Oh, this next one I love, because I've spent a lot of time teaching your children about the fruits of the spirit. So again, hi, I'm Michael, and, and this one is about the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. The question is, basically, when you're doing a self-inventory of, of the, the fruits that, that you're displaying in your life, and this is such a mature question because it means this person has done that inventory in their life, so bravo. And when you find that maybe there's something missing, Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Maybe you're not gentle. Maybe you're lacking some self-control. Whatever that case is, you're, you're missing something. The question really here is, what do I do? Because what Paul kind of says in Galatians, he talks about the fruits of the Spirit and, and the works of the flesh and says, hey, you know, either you kind of have this or you have that, and that shows who you're rooted in. So a lot of people look to this for evidence of salvation. If you are kind of working, you know, living out these fruits of the Spirit, um, then you're saved. And you know what? If you're not, and you're these, these works of the flesh, maybe you're not saved. Not saying about losing your salvation. The point is, is that there's, there should be some evidence. Now, here's the thing. This is something that I learned this year. <laughs> so I want to share this. Um, Paul... He kind of thought in Hebrew, right? His spiritual, his his religious upbringing was a, a Hebrew kind of upbringing, and I don't remember the word, but there's a Hebrew word word, and, and and again, in Hebrew, sometimes there there are less well, there are less words in Hebrew than there are in English, and less words in Hebrew than there are in Greek. So as Paul is thinking in Hebrew, writing in Greek, there's one word in Hebrew that means like. Uh, you know, a love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, you know, uh, gentleness, self-control kind of thing. There's, a, there's one word in Hebrew that kind of represents that idea. And so uh, maybe a good translation of this might be, you know, because keep, keep in mind, it's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's actually the fruit of the Spirit. So Paul might really be saying, you know... You, you can kind of see the salvation in you if you have, you know, that love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control kind of thing in your life. So that doesn't mean that just because you're missing one in that list that you're not saved. The idea is, does this list generally describe who you are or does this other list generally describe who you are? Now, now that I've said that, if you notice that there's a weakness in your life, Pray about it. That's something that I've learned with, with this prayer team that we have is go to the altar, spend some time in the dark and beg and plead with God to help you, to free you from whatever is hindering that in your life. 
go to the source, man. Go to the spirit. Go, go to God and say, God, help me. I don't feel like I'm a loving person. Help me be a loving person. So that would be my suggestion. If you feel like there's any flaw, regardless of language, regardless of, of you know, of, of the, the, the study in Hebrew and Greek, regardless of all that, if you feel like there's something lacking in your life, go to God with it. Pray about it. You can't fix it on your own. Just give it to him. Would you stand? I want to leave you before we respond in worship. I want to leave you with a scripture from John 15. John 15, Jesus is talking about he's being the vine and we're the branches, meaning that he is rooted in the Godhead. And as long as we remain in him, we will bear the fruit that comes from knowing Christ. He says this, remain in me, remain in me, abide in me, and you will produce much fruit. And so if you would bow your heads real quick, I just want us to just do a quick inventory. Where in your life do you need to reconnect to Jesus? Where in your life is producing fruit that is not of the spirit, but is of the flesh? And are you willing to let those things of the flesh die so you can be reunited and reconnected to Jesus. As long as you are connected and remaining with Jesus, you will, you will produce fruit that reflects Jesus. And so as we worship and as we praise God for his goodness in our lives, whatever you need to do to deal with God, go ahead and do it. The altar's open. Let's worship. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly Impact Bible Study podcast as well. Both of our podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.